The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 105 of the On The Banks podcast. I'm your host and managing editor of OnTheBanks.com, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Already into the middle of September here, uh, Rutgers football coming off a big win on the road at Syracuse, 17-7 victory this past Saturday. Certainly not a uh, offensive masterpiece by any means, but uh, a very old school Shiano defensive effort. Uh, special teams play Adam Corsick, all world punter, tremendous game. Defense really came up with some big stops. Uh, Maya Nanatu uh, with a huge play uh, with sack, strip, fumble recovery down at the, I believe, seven minutes to go in the game. Really, I think, kind of ended any potential comeback for, for Syracuse. So a huge win for the program, went over the ACC, first 2-0 start since 2014, which is um, obviously the last time Rutgers went to a bowl game, uh, let alone right there, that's major progress. And both wins were against FBS teams, Temple and Syracuse. In 2014, even, they had that big road win at Washington State, but then they played Howard, so an FCS team. Which leads us to this week, week three, they host Delaware, number six team ranked uh, nationally in FCS coming off an FCS semifinal playoff performance uh, appearance in the spring, off to a 2-0 start. They've won 9 of 10 games since uh, in 2021. So a very experienced team offensively and defensively. They return a lot of, a lot of players from last year, uh, and it's a quick turnaround for them. So obviously Rutgers should win this game. Eight FCS teams have won uh, games against FBS opponents in the first two weeks of the season. Uh, and as Rutgers fans, we all remember Shiano's first tenure, uh, 2002, lost to Villanova, 2004, lost to New Hampshire after they beat Michigan State. So Rutgers fans really, <laughs> I don't think, uh, should ever be fully confident that this is a game to slip by. Uh, and, and obviously with a huge, huge opportunity in the horizon with Michigan the following week, potential to go to the big house 3-0 and uh, with a ton of just, you know, uh, really good PR that they could get from this if they can win this game. You know, this this game is, uh, I, I felt, in a way, the most challenging on the schedule. Syracuse on the road wasn't easy. Um, but, you know, this is this is certainly a test. I think this is a, a test for the coaching staff. Um, that chop mentality, I think it's, you know, it's genuine. I think it's uh, real. I think the culture is there. But this is the type of week where it needs to show up, where uh, they need to take care of business, come out early, not come out flat, and really just set the tone from the first quarter on and just, Put, put Delaware out of it uh, as soon as possible. Um, as this game goes on, you know, you don't want them getting confidence uh, as it goes. Um, but we're going to talk about the game in a little bit. Just wanted to touch a little bit on Olympic sports. Rutgers men's soccer with a big win against St. Joe's on Monday. They're now uh, remain unbeaten. They're 5-0-1. And, and they have their Big Ten opener this Friday against defending Big Ten champ and national runner-up last year, Indiana who beat Rutgers three to nothing in the spring, you know, Indiana's a national power. So huge, huge test for Rutgers men's soccer, Jim McEldry, third season, great start. Once again, he's now 11, one and one in non-conference play at Rutgers. 
Uh, obviously, they didn't have a non-conference schedule uh, his second year in the spring uh, due to COVID. But 5-0-1 start. They, they have uh, Indiana this Friday. Then they come back home and play Penn next Monday for their last non-conference game before Big Ten play sets off. And, and a lot of young talent on this team that's really uh, starting to stand up in a big way. Nico Romilia, uh, Ro- Rose Amelia uh, had two goals against St. John, uh, St. Joe's. Ola Myland has a goal and three assists in his last three games. So seeing the youth step up for men's soccer just speaks volumes about the future of this program and where they're headed. Two top 10 teams entering this week, uh, Rutgers Field Hockey and Women's Soccer. Women's Soccer had a very disappointing week. Big loss to Princeton. They were up 3-1 in the second half. They surrendered three unanswered goals to lose 4-3. to uh, Princeton is a good team. They'll probably be ranked when the new polls come out this week. Um, but still up 3-1 at home. Uh, you know, tough way to lose. And Rutgers hadn't given up four goals in a game in, in nine years. So uh, certainly a, uh, a blip on the radar. And then they go to Georgetown, a ranked Georgetown team this past Sunday. They lost one nothing. So after, uh, you know, scoring more than five goals, the first four games of the season, uh, program first, uh, they get shut out against a good Georgetown team uh, in D.C. So already six games into the season and the Rutgers women's soccer team is at a crossroads. They have the Big Ten opener this Sunday. Uh, against uh, defending champ and rival Penn State, a team they fared very well against recently. But this would be a huge measuring stick for them and a, and a great opportunity to rebound uh, with the start of Big Ten play. They have championship aspirations, and if they're going to win a Big Ten title and be the first Rutgers program to do it, they need to get things figured out pretty quick. Field hockey, a big win and, and a tough loss. They uh, beat number 16 Syracuse last Friday to move to 4-0, and then they, they lost to St. Joe's in Philadelphia on Sunday. Two to one. St. Joe's is, is pretty hot right now. They beat number four North Carolina on the Friday before they matched up. So they have two top 10 wins in a row. Field hockey is, you know, uh, getting some great contributions um, from some freshmen. Lucy Bannatine has three, uh, leads them with three goals, but a, a real veteran core. All American goalkeeper Gianna Glatz, All American Katie Lamore got her first goal this weekend. So field hockey is still in really good shape. They're in the midst of an eight game stretch against ranked foes. So uh, they have five more to go. See how that hat goes. Big Ten play starts in a couple weeks for them. And then Rutgers volleyball up to a 7-2 start. They finished 2-1 and one at the rack this weekend. Lost to NC State in five sets. We're down two, stormed back, and then forced the fifth set before falling short. And then they beat uh, NJIT and Brown 7-2. and two. One more, uh, they're at Clemson this weekend before Big Ten play starts. So second-year head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer has them off to a great start as well. But let's get back to football this week. We have uh, uh, two two guests uh, that cover both teams. We have Kevin Trezzolini of the News Journal and Delaware Online. He's covered uh, Delaware Athletics for a long time, this football team. Uh, really excited to have him uh, get some insight on the Blue Hens uh, off to a 2-0 start, like I said, and uh, find out more about them. And then we'll have our own Greg Petuto, who covers uh, as our lead football writer for On the Banks, credential for Rutgers football, as well as myself. Uh, so we'll be able to talk about Rutgers, his thoughts on, on where they're at, so far this season uh, and what to expect this weekend. So excited to, to get ready for, uh, even though it's an FCS opponent, uh, certainly a crucial game to this season, year two of Greg Schiano. And I welcome both of my guests in now. It's my pleasure to now welcome in Greg Petuto, our own uh, lead football writer for On the Banks. Very excited to have him here. Greg, how's it going? Doing well, Aaron. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for, for all your hard work and coverage so far this season. What were your initial thoughts uh, after Syracuse, obviously uh, a big win for the program, uh, as you put in your your lead story, an ugly win, but uh, still a win. Um, what were your overall impressions from that performance? 
Yeah, ugly was the word I used a couple times, actually. And and I stick by that, you know, a rivalry win, it's always good. An ugly win is still a win. So that's definitely positive for Rutgers and the fans. My initial thought was, you know, we just got to see more out of this offense. You know, the defense has been doing all they can, but the offense is not at that same level. And even creating the turnovers that they did on Saturday, not being able to capitalize is definitely a concern. But hey, 2-0 is 2-0, and they have a chance to make it three in a row to start the season. So, you know, fans should be excited. What have your thoughts been on on the running back situation? I think I, I think everyone's a little bit surprised that uh, Pacheco hasn't hasn't really had too good of a start so far. Uh, Kyle Manunga's arguably been the biggest surprise of the season so far. How do you see that kind of rotation working uh, at least this weekend and and maybe in the uh, short term right now? It's been a bit of a surprise to see Pacheco's lack of um, production, like you said. But that goes with the offensive line as well. They haven't seemed to be really gelling the way they should. But they got one more game before the Big Ten schedule. So I'm curious to see if it kind of comes together a little bit. But I'm not necessarily surprised at, you know, the kind of uh, substitutions and depth that um, Shiano has showed in the backfield, because that's something he mentioned all throughout the preseason. Um, Despite Pacheco being the the unquestioned starter, he kind of mentioned that, you know, a lot of other guys, including Vedral, you know, from the quarterback position would be carrying the ball a little bit. So I think it goes hand in hand with Pacheco not having his, his normal burst, his normal production um, with the offensive line, not really gelling to this point. And that's definitely something that needs to improve. Yeah. And this would be a key matchup. Uh, Delaware actually, you know, from a size perspective is, is really undersized on the defensive line. Kevin Trezzolini talked about uh, Delaware having a pretty uh, experienced defensive line, but from a size perspective, they do give up a lot. Uh, average weight about 250 compared to the offensive line for Rutgers over 300. How much of an emphasis do you expect Rutgers to focus on the run this game? And how important is it for them to establish uh, some consistency in the run game? uh, Like you said, with the Big Ten slate just uh, just up ahead. I think this is the most important game. You know, I mentioned many times in preseason that these three non-conference games is going to be the time for Rutgers to get their feet wet, you know, especially with last year playing that Big Ten schedule. Um, And now two of them are gone and the offense is still not, you know, where they need to be. So I think they really need to emphasize the run of this game, especially if they go up early. That's got to be something we need to see a lot of heading into the Big Ten where, you know, games are won and lost in the trenches. You know, the Big Ten starting to score more points. Teams are starting to throw the ball. But, you know, it's still where they need to be able to run. And for Rutgers, you know, that's especially important because they want to keep some of these dynamic offenses off the field once they get into the Big Ten schedule so they can do that by establishing the run. Transition a little bit to, to Vedral. Uh, I was a little up and down performance. I was a little surprised that uh, there was some criticism uh, against Syracuse. Uh, I think the offensive line, you know, gave him, it really made it hard on him. I thought overall he did pretty well from an accuracy. And, and really, if you look at it, I mean, zero turnovers in two weeks. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on, on Vedral so far? And, you know, how, how far away do you think he is from reaching his ceiling of what he can do this year? You know, you kind of hit it when you said no turnovers. I think that's really the main thing to look at with Vedral, especially the inconsistent play we saw last season from him. He's not a quarterback that's really going to, he's not going to wow you with his arm. You know, and I don't think that's what Rutgers fans expected, but he can make the throws. He can throw it downfield. He can definitely move. And that works in the fast paced style of offense. So I think he's been doing, you know, a decent job. The numbers don't necessarily show it. You know, I believe 280 passing yards on the season, just two scores, but Again, he hasn't turned the ball over. He really hasn't hasn't been taking many sacks. So this is another good game for him to take that next step, get his feet wet going into um, going into Michigan. But as a as for Vedral, I'm not too concerned. I think he's still got improvements to make. But it, again, it's only two games. It's non conference against you know some lower level opponents. But you know I think he's looked pretty good. 
And in terms of the offensive line, you know, I, it's, I personally think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, and Shiano's talked about rotating players and they have seven or eight guys that can play. I've always thought with the offensive line, if, if you don't have five guys you can stick with, then you don't have anything. And I, how concerned are you that, you know, all the mixing and matching, are, are, are they really ever going to find the right combination this year that is going to, you know, provide a, a good enough, I guess, consistency on the offensive line for Rutgers to, to be able to, to take that next step in Big Ten play? You know, they better hope they find that right uh, starting group of five. It's nice to have the depth, but I look at offensive line depth as more of, you know, injuries and, and, you know, things like that, rather than every play kind of shuffling guys in and out. Um, I agree. It's important to have that consistent set of five guys that you can run out there that know each other, um, that know the system, that know the scheme very well, especially again, in this fast paced style of offense, they're going to be on the field a lot together. So I think it's very important. I think the guys are there, but however long it takes to find them, it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, I've said it a couple of times here now, but this is going to be a game that they can kind of use to find that right set, especially if they jump on top early. Defensively, uh, really strong performance against Syracuse. You know, we, we don't fully know what the Syracuse offense is yet. To, to We'll be able to look back at the season uh, and just know how great that performance was. But obviously, I think the key from that was the, the rushing defense, you know, obviously a weakness last year, much better start this year. Um, you know, how impressed are you by the, by the way they've defended the run? And do you think that's something that can hold up in Big Ten play? I definitely think it's something that could hold up. You know, the defense was supposed to be a strength coming in and they're really showing it by, you know, not only beating these two teams the way they have Temple and Syracuse, but, you know, beating them up a little bit, being more physical, creating the turnovers that they have, you know, Fatu Kasi's off to a great start. Once again, you know, Max Melton in the secondary, they have a lot of pieces stepping up. Um, and as for stopping the run, it's been a little more impressive than I, um, than I thought it would be to be quite honest, but I definitely think it's something that can continue. And, like I said, going into the Big Ten schedule, you know, teams are starting to throw the ball a little bit and score some points. You know, they're moving quick. So it's important to stop the run. But I think Rutgers is set up well as a whole um, defensively to, you know, compete against some of the teams in the Big Ten. You know, as we've seen in years past uh, with, with Rutgers, even even during the Ash era, you know, the defense kind of always has has, you know, been OK in the beginning and tends to get worn down in the, in the second half of games. You know, how important is it for, for Rutgers to establish some consistency offensively so that doesn't happen, you know, uh, in Big Ten play? I, I think it's a tough schedule. Michigan-Ohio State to start is, is pretty rough. Uh, but then you have a pretty manageable slate in October. How important is it for them to have that balance to be able to, to knock off a couple wins during that stretch? Oh, yeah, it's very important. You know, I mentioned it when talking about the running game. That's going to be the main factor in keeping Rutgers on the field and keeping the other offenses on the sideline but also giving your defense a chance to rest. And once you get into big 10 play, that's huge, you know, and like you said, looking at the schedule, Michigan, all of a sudden, you know, they found their way into the rankings. They're looking like a tough opponent, you know, Michigan state, which is a winnable game at home. They've started out with two impressive wins, but they do have that stretch. You know, Northwestern doesn't look that strong. Illinois obviously is Illinois. So especially getting into those games, it's going to be even more important to give your defense a rest. And they can do that by creating that offensive consistency. And to me, it all begins with the run game. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Adam Korsak, best player on Rutgers? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say no, but when you look at, I mean, when you look at accomplishments, achievements, I mean, it's hard to argue with that. The guy's been incredible, but I got to give it to, uh, I still got to say Fachukas, he's the best. He's the most impressive um, player on Rutgers. But as for Korsak, you can't go against his achievements. 
I think that was a good call. But uh, yeah, and then I think news this week that Corsak has, has applied for an extra year next year. That is uh, pretty amazing news if he does get that waiver from the NCAA. So uh, I think that gives hope. But I think just his impact in the field position and what he's done the first two weeks, obviously, if he can continue that in Big Ten play, I think that obviously will, will be a huge, huge factor moving forward. How concerned are you, you know, eight FCS teams have won games in the last two weeks against FBS competition. You know, we saw Jacksonville State with that Hail Mary against uh, Florida State. They're actually a team that Delaware beat in the FCS playoffs last spring. Uh, You know, Delaware has a lot of Jersey guys. How concerned are you that Delaware is going to come in, you know, playing pretty inspired? and, and, And how much of a game do you think they'll be able to give Rutgers? I wouldn't say I'm I'm too concerned, but. Rutgers better, you know, be ready. You know, Shiano's been saying all the right things leading up to this game. And like you've said, we've seen it this season and Rutgers has a history of it, you know, in Shiano's first tenure, you know, losing to a couple FCS schools. So I've said that Rutgers isn't at the point where they can kind of just roll the helmets, roll the balls out on the field and go out and dominate a team. You know, even that Temple game in week one, I mean, everything clicked, you know, they worked going into that game. That's got to be the same thing here. They can't take this Delaware team lightly especially considering they're one of the best teams, you know, in the nation, in the FCS level. So they're definitely going to come in and look to make it, you know, nine victories this season over FBF schools. But I wouldn't say concerned, but it's going to be uh, interesting to see if they kind of take control early and, you know, punch them in the mouth. So what you've seen so far through two weeks, you know, uh, in our season predictions, you you predicted five and seven. I actually went four and eight. Have you seen... What are your thoughts two weeks in? Do you still uh, kind of feel confident about that five and seven, or do you think this is a team that could sneak into a ball? Um, yeah, I did. I did a couple of them, and you know, I could see six um, wins. You know, I could see four, like you had, but I ultimately landed on that five number. This is about where I had them. You know, I, I thought they would win these first two games. Aside from the lopsided score in Temple, it's gone pretty pretty much the way I thought. I expected that ugly game in Syracuse, and I expect them to beat Delaware. You know, looking at their schedule again, they got that that stretch of Michigan state, Northwestern, Illinois, that is really going to make or break their season. And then the last game at Maryland could be the determining factor. So I still like where I am prediction wise, as for, you know, the big 10 kind of playing itself out. I think that's going to be big in telling whether Rutgers can find that third conference victory to get to that six win mark. And a couple more for you question, just in terms of obviously Rutgers, the 22 uh, recruiting class is off to a great start. We're, we're not too far away now from early signing day, only, uh, you know, less than three months away. Uh, how important do you think that the rest of this season is for Rutgers to solidify that class? How stable do you think it is? And, and, and how, how important is it for them to start getting rolling on 23, uh, the, the 2023 class as well? I think it's very important. You know, the 22 classes is very impressive and getting those guys in the door is going to be huge for the program. But also this season, if they can win, say, three more games, get to that six win mark, three Big Ten games, I mean, I think that's huge for the future because it shows what Shiano is building. And once he starts to get his guys in, you know, that's why last year was so important for them to, first of all, play all nine games and then, you know, win a couple games. And I think an underrated fa- uh, part of it was that all of them were on the road. You know, it showed that this team can compete on the road because uh, the home wins are going to come. But it's definitely important. And Shiano, he seems to have it all figured out in the recruiting game. So I'd say he's definitely definitely already started uh, 23. So we'll see what he can do. And this season's going to be telling. So last question, let's just hypothetical Rutgers wins, De- uh, wins this weekend against Delaware. You have three and O Rutgers potentially going to play three and O Michigan. How important is just that week alone in terms of the hype, the PR and the promotion of that game 
how much, how important is that just for the kind of progress for this program uh, as Shiano's in his, his second year of rebuilding? Yeah, that's huge. That's why I liked what they did with the scheduling this year, starting out with these three opponents, you know, before Big Ten play. This would be such a deflating loss to Delaware, but like I said, I'm not too concerned. And being 3-0 and going into that game, especially with everybody kind of looking back to the game these two teams played last year, you know, we remember the triple overtime game, you know, in Piscataway. I think it would be huge, you know, Michigan football being 3-0 and and being back in the rankings, because um, obviously if they win this week, they'll stay ranked. That's huge in itself with Michigan being back, but even Rutgers, just the atmosphere around the stadium, around their team and the excitement, it's going to be huge from a PR standpoint. So I think Rutgers did did the right thing by scheduling these games before the Big Ten play starts. Greg Petuto on the Banks, lead football writer. Thanks so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, any last thoughts on, on the game this weekend or, or the next kind of couple games up ahead? They got to win this game and they got to, like I said, keep establishing the run. It's what I talked about, you know, the whole time on here. And that's going to be so important going into that game against Michigan and beyond, you know, after Ohio State. So if they can establish the run, that'll open things up for everybody and make, you know, the defense's job a lot easier. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks a lot, Aaron. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure to welcome in Kevin Tresolini from the News Journal of Delaware Online, who's covered Delaware sports athletics for a long time, including Delaware football coming off a uh, semifinal FCS appearance last year, 7-1 record off to a 2-0 start this year. Kevin, thanks so much for being here. Hey, Aaron, glad to be with you and uh, glad to talk about some uh, Blue Hen and Rutgers football today, something that nobody's been able to talk about for uh, almost 50 years, so it's great. So that's a great starting point, actually. Uh, obviously, uh, former rivals for, for many years through the 50s, 70s, I believe the series started back in the 20s. Is there a little bit of buzz aside from this being, you know, a, a huge opportunity for Delaware playing an FBS team? Is there any buzz with the fan base just in terms of it being Rutgers? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I think anytime you kind of have a regional matchup like that, it, cert- it certainly adds adds to the significance of it. And, you know, Delaware's kind of got an older fan base and there's going to be plenty of Delaware fans at this game on Saturday who were probably at the last Rutgers-Delaware game and saw a bunch of those Rutgers-Delaware games, even though they haven't played since 1973. There is certainly a... uh, large crew of Delaware fans who uh, are, are old enough to, uh, you know, have seen some of those games. But that certainly, I think, does add some interest. There was, you know, there was a long history, you know, to the series. They had quite a rivalry way back when. I kind of grew up following Lehigh, uh, you know, when I was a kid. And Lehigh was also kind of part of that same group. And I remember what it was like, you know, when Lehigh would go up, uh, up against Rutgers and it was a big deal if, you know, if Lehigh could maybe pull off the upset and once in a while they did, you know, I'm sure, you know, Delaware was better than Lehigh, but it was kind of the same deal for Delaware. It was a big deal if they could, you know, if they could knock off Rutgers because Rutgers was kind of aiming for the big time. And, you know, you know, Delaware was still trying to kind of be the big fish in this little pond. And Delaware still is, is that in college football, they're still trying to be, you know, a big fish in you know, in the smaller pond FCS. And, uh, you know, they made a nice breakthrough back during their spring season by making it to the uh, the semifinals of the FCS tournament. Well, I, I don't go as far back as when Rutgers and Delaware played, but I'm old enough to have gone to some uh, when Rutgers played Colgate. So I remember there you go. Yeah, that's smaller one. teams in the past. But um, I, I, that's actually brings an interesting element into this matchup and the fact that Delaware did have their season in the spring. How has that, I guess, impacted their the way they went about their offseason, obviously shortened, and then um, how has it benefited the way they've been able to start this season? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of cut back on on their off-season June uh, workout conditioning regimen, you know, just to kind of give the players a break because they were playing into the middle of May. Uh, they played seven or, or they played eight games from, you know, from March into May. So they kind of cut back on that stuff. And yeah, then they jumped right into preseason camp uh, in early August. And what they did then was they, you know, they didn't go as full tilt, you know, they didn't go quite as hard as they did or, or as they would have in a normal August. And of course they didn't have as much to install either because they kind of got to put all the stuff in uh, you know, back in the spring that normally they would spend a large amount of time installing in the summertime. And because everybody came back, I mean, you know, you know, just like Rutgers and everybody else, everybody returns just about everybody since last year didn't count against eligibility. Delaware only did not return one kind of reserve wide receiver. And they did have one starting offensive lineman who didn't return as well. But other than that, everybody's back. So it wasn't like you had to teach a lot of new things. So they did kind of, you know, kind of limit, you know, some of the, you know, some of the contact. They tried to not go quite as hard, just kind of keeping in mind that the season did end fairly recently throughout um, preseason camp. And, you know, I thought this was a really interesting comment. Uh, Delaware played its first game the night of September 2nd at Maine. They beat their conference rival up there uh, 34 to 14. And it kind of almost had the look and feel of a midseason game. In, in October. Now, part of that might have been because it was 60 degrees in Maine that, but it just, you know, it just, it just seemed like it was kind of being played at a high level. And I brought that up to one of Delaware's players, Gene Coleman, their fine wide receiver after the game. And he said it definitely felt like that. And he thought one of the reasons it felt like that was because they were kind of in midseason form because they just got done playing seven or, or, or eight games back in, in, in May. So they are kind of in a much, higher level of play at this time of year than they would normally be. And maybe that's an advantage where they, you know, maybe that's an advantage might that Delaware might have over Rutgers. Who knows? So that being said, you know, they're off to a two and zero start. Uh, you know, they opened at mean, like you said, they actually were losing at the half. Uh, they beat St. Francis relatively easily. Um, but for a team that, you know, is ranked in the top 10 in FCS, obviously had that semifinal appearance. Have they performed to expectations so far? Or is it more of just kind of still trying to hit their stride in terms of their potential? Yeah, I think they're still trying to kind of hit their stride. The thing that they've done well, Aaron, is 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 that they've played pretty clean football. They have not had a turnover in two games. They've only had, I guess, three penalties in two games. So they're really, really happy about that. I don't think they've probably played as well as they would have liked, both offensively and defensively. On offense, they, you know, they haven't, uh, Delaware hasn't had a, a running back rush for more than 59 yards in a game in their last six games. You know, so that's something I think they would like to maybe get a little better uh, at, at doing their offensive line has been kind of banged up. That was kind of the story um, in their FCS playoff loss at South Dakota State, where they really struggled up front to protect their quarterback and to run block. You know, they're still kind of having some issues up front with some injuries and some guys being out and just trying to, trying to kind of figure things out up there. And, uh, you know, defensively at the, at the end of the spring season, you know, they were, they were number three nationally in scoring defense, number four in total defense and sixth nationally in takeaways, you know, so they were one of the strongest defenses in the country. I think, I think they still are, but they have given up 326 yards uh, average in their first uh, two games 
In the spring, they gave up 239 yards per game. So they're giving up more yardage. Um, and this is against Maine and St. Francis, you know, and now they got to play Rutgers, which is obviously, you know, a much tougher team than those two. So I think they are still kind of trying to find a little bit better play on both sides of the ball. Talking about the defense, you know, just looking at the roster, uh, definitely obviously will be a, a size discrepancy with that defensive line for Delaware. Uh, a lot of guys in the, the two, 230, 250 weight range uh, going against a Rutgers offensive line, 300 plus. How do you expect that matchup to go? And, and I guess how is Delaware talked about, you know, countering that type of disadvantage? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, that, that's going to that's going to be worth watching. What happens up front on both sides of the ball? I think I think Delaware's defensive line. I'd be more concerned about Delaware's offensive line than its defensive line. I think I think Delaware's defensive line is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to have they have a lot to cope with. They have a lot to cope with going against Rutgers' offensive front. It's going to be interesting to see what Delaware does because Delaware kind of plays. They kind of play a three-three-three-five. You know, that fifth safety kind of comes up and plays some linebacker. Sometimes they will put a fourth defensive lineman up there. You know, they do do a lot of kind of shifting around and changing alignments with their defense. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, if they change things up a little bit, how they try to kind of compensate for that size difference they're going to have to cope with up front. I saw, you know, I saw that Rutgers does not have great rushing numbers its first couple games. So I'm wondering if that maybe makes Delaware defensively feel good about, about what they can possibly do up front. You know, one good thing Delaware does do is they rotate a lot of defensive linemen and they've got some pretty good ones. They got some pretty good ones up there. You know, they do rotate a lot of them. So they stay fresh. I know, I know that's not unusual. A lot of teams do that, but you know, they'll have, you know, they'll have a lot of guys who kind of come in and out and it's going to be interesting to see how well they do you know, like you said, Aaron, uh, you know, in that matchup against the uh, against the Rutgers front. But I think I think defensively, you know, the defense is a you know, is a strong point for Delaware was in the spring. I think it still is now. They are missing a key guy in the back end safety, Noah Plack. And that has kind of hurt them a little bit, I think, the first couple of games. And uh, yeah, it's I think there are some similarities here in terms of how the two teams have played Rutgers as well. Zero takeaway. Uh, Zero turnovers in two games so far. Five penalties. Uh, had just one in the first game, four in the second game. So I, I do think that it's going to be uh, interesting to see how both teams kind of start the game. In terms of their offense, Nolan Henderson is back. Uh, had a really good year in the spring. Off to a relatively good start. Uh, just talk about his connection with Gene Coleman and the importance of, of those two players for the offense to, to be successful. Yeah, Nolan Henderson's a really good quarterback, and he's been a really he's been a really good story around here. He's from uh, he's from Smyrna High School, which is about half an hour south of uh, Newark, Delaware. He's an in-state kid. He led Smyrna to the first couple state championships in their school history, right in Delaware Stadium, where the Blue Hens play. You know, he's a kid who wasn't heavily recruited, but he came to Delaware. Uh, you know, you know, not a big kid, not a tall kid. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that it might be tough for him to make it as as Delaware's quarterback, but he won the job a couple games into the 2019 season, has been the starter ever since. And um, in the spring, he was a 70 percent uh, passer. That is a Delaware single season school record. Delaware likes to kind of fancy itself as a quarterback. You, uh, you know, this is where Joe Flacco uh 
got himself ready for the NFL. This is where Rich Gannon starred uh, as a quarterback. Uh, you guys know Scotty Bruner up there in New York Giants country. Um, you know, he's out of Delaware. Matt Nagy, the coach of the Chicago Bears, was a great quarterback here. There's been some great ones at Delaware. Uh, none of those guys ever completed 70% of their passes like Nolan did this past spring. And he's also a really good runner, very elusive, very quick. And he's had to be because he hasn't always gotten great protection from the offensive line. But you mentioned Gene Coleman. Uh, Gene's a fine receiver. And uh, Delaware has another one, Thyrick Pitts, who seems to kind of catch just about everything thrown his way. Sometimes when you don't think he's going to be able to. Um, Delaware also likes throwing to its tight ends um, and its running backs as well. But those two guys in particular, they're one of the best receiving pairs in FCS football, uh, Coleman uh, and Pitts. And those will be the guys who, uh, you know, Rutgers is going to have to worry the most about on, on Saturday, no doubt about it. Special teams has been uh, a real strength of Rutgers. They did have a couple of miscues uh, against Syracuse. But overall, you know, Adam Korsak, arguably the best punter in the country. Aaron Cruikshank, you know, defending Big Ten Specialist of the Year, uh, kick returner. H how has Delaware been on special teams? I know they have Ryan Coe, who's uh, been pretty good uh, in his career from kind of under 50 yards. How has the special teams played Ben so far this season? Yeah, yeah. Boy, you mentioned Cruikshank. He is really, he's really good. He's the guy, I mean, he's the kind of guy who I think could be, could be the guy who, who, who breaks this game for Rutgers if, Delo, if Delaware doesn't corral him you know, when they, you know, when they have to on a couple of those returns. Ryan Coe has been a really steady kicker for Delaware. Uh, he's, he, he's been pretty good. He's got, you know, he's got some range. He's got a nice steady extra point streak going. He's nailed some long kicks. Delaware's had some real trouble, however. And again, this is something that could, you know, that could break a game. Delaware has had four punts blocked in its last nine games, uh, including one in the season opener at Maine that Maine recovered for a touchdown. This has been an ongoing problem for Delaware that they have just not been able to fix. This goes back into the spring season. They had one blocked in their second uh, in their second uh, spring game. They had two blocked in, in another spring game, one for a touchdown, one that set up a touchdown, and then the one at Maine. It's just it's just been an ongoing problem that Delaware has not uh, been able been able to uh, solve. I'm sure those Rutgers coaches have been uh, have been pouring over the film looking at that you know, trying to figure out when, you know, and how they're going to, they're going to go after one of those because it's there, uh, you know, unless Delaware has fixed something, they were able to protect much better in the St. Francis game. But, you know, I also don't, you know, don't remember St. Francis kind of really going super hard at one of those either. So that's, that's one of those special teams area that areas that could be, uh, could be decisive. Yeah, Rutgers had a block punt last week at Syracuse, and uh, obviously during Shiano's right. first tenure was, uh, you know, uh, one of the best teams that led the country uh, for for several years in, in block kicks. So that's a very interesting angle to know going into the game. I wanted to ask you, you know, with so many starters back, I saw something you wrote this week uh, talking about the last time they played an FBS opponent. Um, they went to Pitt and, uh, you know, gave them a really good game, was up in front in the fourth quarter, lost 17-14. And you said there, there's about half, I guess, the starters are back on this team that played in that game and a lot of others that played. How important do you think that is for Delaware's confidence coming into this game? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point, Aaron. I think I think that's 
I think that's very valuable. Yeah, that was an amazing day because it really, really looked and felt like Delaware was going to pull that off out there at Pitt. It was, it was, it was pretty amazing. They had them, yeah, they had them up 14-10 going into the fourth period, and then you know, and then Pitt got the go-ahead and 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 held on to win that game. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, Nolan Henderson was the quarterback that day. Thyrick Pitts and Gene Coleman were his receivers. Uh, a lot of the same guys. Uh, Delaware's leading tackler that day is their leading tackler now. They're all American safety, Kedrick Whitehead. So I think I think having been through that, you know, should help those guys. I think I think maybe that will give them a little bit of confidence that, you know, that, that, that will make them say, hey, you know, why not? We almost did this once before. You know, perhaps it's not it, it's it's not impossible. You know, the fact that there's been eight uh, eight wins this year by by uh, by FCS schools over FBS schools. You know, they all loved watching Jacksonville State throw that touchdown pass, um, you know, to beat Florida State the other night. Delaware beat Jacksonville State in the FCS quarterfinals in the spring. So, so that kind of made them feel, hey, you know, we just beat those guys. If they can do that, we can do that. Why not us? So, so yeah, I think I think those are solid connections, you know, for the Blue Hens going into this game that can help them uh, say, hey, maybe maybe it can't happen. Delaware has lost nine straight games to FBS schools since Joe Flacco led them to an amazing win down at Navy in 2007. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they're due for another. Thanks for making all Rutgers fans even more nervous now with that stat. <laughs> we don't want to hear that kind of stat. They haven't won in so many times. Eventually they'll be due. And I should note it's important too that pit team. I mean, that, that was an eight-win pit team that won a bowl game that year. So that was not a uh, not a, a low-level ACC team at all. Just a couple more for you. Uh, obviously, New Jersey connection. A lot of New Jersey players on the roster. How important, I guess, is this game? You know, even from a recruiting perspective for Delaware and uh, and what they've been able to do. It's interesting, you know, that you brought that up, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, you know, New Jersey, obviously, you know. The UD campus is probably about 12 miles from New Jersey, you know, right over the Delaware Memorial Bridge. I was actually surprised. I sat down and counted through the Delaware roster. I was surprised there were only 14 kids from New Jersey on the Delaware roster. I kind of thought that there would be more. I really did, because there always have been, you know, a fair amount of Jersey kids on the on the Delaware roster. One of Delaware's all-time great players from South Jersey, Andrew Pierce, is now on the Rutgers coaching staff. He's Delaware's number two all-time leading rusher. You know, it's it's... Delaware's recruiting target is a little bit more Pennsylvania. And I think part of that is because Danny Rocco, Delaware's head coach, is a Pennsylvania guy. He lived all over Pennsylvania um, as a kid because his father coached all over Pennsylvania and they moved all over Pennsylvania. Um, so so I think I think that's why Pennsylvania, which is which is about three miles from the Delaware campus, is a, is it is a little bit more of a recruiting target. But New Jersey as well is, uh, you know, is is really important recruiting ground. But yeah, uh, Gene Coleman, who we mentioned, is um, is a Bergen Catholic kid, uh, you know, from up there. Uh, uh, Artis Hemingway, a defensive lineman who's really good. Johnny Buchanan, one of Delaware's fine linebackers, is a Jersey kid. He's from Brick Township. Brett Buckman, another receiver, is a Jersey guy. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's certainly some key guys for you know from Jersey on the team, and I'm sure all those guys will have in their back of what you know will have that in the back of their minds on Saturday. Hey, here I am at Rutgers. They didn't want me. I'll show them. You know the story. <laughs> and that leads me into my last question. You know, with everything we've talked about, uh, with the, you know the, the local connection, um, you know Delaware having confidence coming in with how FCS teams have performed, with how they performed in their last FBS matchup. You know, how do you expect this team to kind of approach it? I, I assume this is, you know, I don't want to say they're Super Bowl, but obviously I'm sure they've had this date circled for a while. Um, how do you expect them to respond? And, and, and what do you think the key to this matchup really is? 
FCS players love these games. That's all, you know, that's always, that's what it's always been like around here. You know, I, you know, obviously this isn't a must win situation, you know, like Delaware's biggest games are, are going to be against James Madison and Villanova and all their conference rivals. You know, they do love these games, the big crowd, the big stadium, all the attention. They love the opportunity to go up there and, and Hey, maybe see if they can pull off the upset. It's going to be very, very difficult for Delaware to do that. You know, the advantages that, you know, that an FBS program, you know, has over an FCS program go beyond, you know, the 22 additional scholarships. You know, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's an economic advantage. Um, it's a facility advantage. You know, there's a lot of advantages they have. But the Blue Hens are going to go up there and, and you know, like you said, you know, there's, there's no pressure on them. You know, there's no expectations on them. You know, they're going to go up there and give it a shot. I think the fact that they do have a solid proven defense certainly gives them a little bit more hope than you might otherwise expect. And and the fact that they do have some big play proven performers on offense as well also kind of does give them a smidgen of a chance. Uh, You know, again, the thing that concerns me for them having a shot up there is you know, can, you know, can they handle it up front? Like we talked about, you know, that's, that's where, you know, that's where, you know, these games can sometimes really be a difficult mismatch for, uh, you know, for the lower level program. And, and, and I think that's where it might, it might be really tough for Delaware. Kevin Trezzolini with the news journal and Delaware online covering blue hens athletics. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. Really appreciate the insight. Hey, Aaron, thank you. Really enjoyed talking with you about this game. Thanks so much to our guests this week, Kevin Tresolini of the News Journal in Delaware Online and Greg Petuto, our lead football writer here at On the Banks. Lots of great insight on both teams heading into Saturday's big matchup. Uh, Rutgers with the opportunity to go 3-0 and to start the season uh, with Big Ten play looming at Michigan the following week. Thanks so much for listening once again. Definitely check all of our coverage on onthebanks.com and at OTB underscore SB Nation on Twitter. And we're on Facebook as well. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you for following all of our coverage here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter, at OTB underscore SB Nation, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.